honor to have him and Brother Roth here with us tonight. Give Brother Logan a good hand and welcome him to Calvary Baptist Church. I mean, preach, preacher. Take your time. Don't get in a hurry. Well, it's good to be at Calvary Baptist Church. Is there anybody out there that's born again? Amen. Is there anybody happy about being born again? Amen. It's, it's one thing to be born again. It's another thing to be happy about it, isn't it? Amen. I've met some folks that claim to be born again but don't seem to have much joy about that thing. And I just want to say that tonight I have as much joy tonight as I had yesterday. Because yesterday didn't determine what kind of joy I have. If the Listen, if your joy is in Jesus Christ, the world can go in all sorts of direction and never change what's on the inside. We don't have to operate on circumstances. We operate on a little bit higher level than that. I'm glad I've got a Savior that I can be joyful in. And it's been a blessing to see the young people sing tonight and... Uh, you know, if I told you that I didn't come to preach, your pastor said that I ought to, you know, that I did I, or whatever, he's going to have me to preach, earn my keep. Um, I, I love to preach. It's not about loving to preach. I enjoy preaching. I like to hear preaching. Um, and I would just soon hear your pastor preach um, and get to sit in a pew. I don't get to do that very often, but uh, since it is my turn and he said me to do it, go to Daniel chapter 1. Now, all I'm going to do is I'm going to do what I do at home, if that's all right. And let me ask, make sure, I, I know we're in, uh, we're, we're in Dundalk, Maryland, but how many can understand my, my, uh, my language right now? You understand what I'm saying? All right. Just won't, just won't make sure about that. And we go, <laughs> they finished language school through the Shiflet family. Um, we, I, I try to preach through a book of the Bible. The reason I do that is because I think we need to hear what the whole counsel of God has to say. And not, not necessarily because I think I'm skilled in it, but because I think our people need to see what's in the Bible and not just hear what their pastor's opinion is or what people like to preach about. So uh, we just started the book of Daniel, and I'm going to read a few verses this evening, and uh, let's just look at that book. We'll preach out of that. Daniel chapter 1, in the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, came Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, unto Jerusalem. All right, now that's a holy city. That's a city that God had his eye on, that he put his name on. The Bible says that the king of Babylon uh, came unto Jerusalem and besieged it, and the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand. Now, it doesn't say the king of Babylon took Jehoiakim. The Bible says that the Lord gave Jehoiakim into the king of Babylon's hand with part of the vessels of the house of God which he carried into the land of Shinar to the house of his God, and he brought the vessels into the treasure house of his God. I find it interesting that Judah and Jerusalem, where the temple was, is Manasseh and other kings had brought false idols, had brought fake gods into the temple, and now, now God is allowing what was in the temple in Jerusalem to be taken into a false temple instead. And you know what I'd say about that? Are you listening tonight? You reap what you sow. You reap what you sow. Now, if you keep looking, verse 3, the king spake unto Ashpenaz, the master of his eunuchs, that he should bring certain of the children of Israel and of the king's seed and of the princes, children in whom was no blemish, but well-favored and skillful in all wisdom and cunning in knowledge and understanding science and such as had ability in them to stand in the king's palace and whom they might teach the learning and the tongue of the Chaldeans. And the king appointed them a daily provision of the king's meat and of the wine which he drank, so nourishing them three years, that at the end thereof they might stand before the king. Now among these were the children of Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, unto whom the prince of the eunuchs gave names. For he gave unto Daniel the name of Belteshazzar, and Hananiah of Shadrach, and the Mishael of Meshach, and Azariah of Abednego. But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's meat, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore, he requested the prince of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. Now, I want you to understand when we begin looking in this passage that you have some young men that are under control of the government and the state of which they're captive. These young men are not at their own liberty. 
These young men do not have the freedom to go where they want to go. They don't have the freedom to do what they want to do. Their liberty's been taken away. They've been removed from Jerusalem, and they've been placed in Babylon. They're separated from their parents. They're separated from their culture. They're separated from all the people that they know. They're isolated. And under that isolation, in my opinion, there is great pressure that is placed on these young men to become what Babylon wants them to be instead of what God created them to be. Now, maybe I could make it, make it a little plain for us and, and applicable. You know what I believe? I believe the devil would love to take the children of Calvary Baptist Church and make them what he wants them to be instead of what God created them to be. There's not a young person in here. I don't care how long you've been saved. I don't know what you know about the Bible. God made you. You're not a product of evolution. God made you with a purpose in mind. You have an ability. You have talents. You have an intellect. You have, you have a personality. And God has a plan for you. God has something that he wants you to accomplish in this life. And I'm telling you, if the world has its way, you will never become what God wanted you to become. They'll make you into what they want you to become. And the immense pressure on these young men to become what Babylon wanted them to be is really off the charts. There's three things I want to look at tonight. Number one, in verse number three, notice what the Bible says. And the king spake unto Ashpenaz, the master of his eunuchs, that he should bring certain of the children of Israel and of the king's seed and of the princes. So the first thing I want you to see is this. There are some things that are going to help Daniel and Hananiah and Mishael and Azariah not to give in to this pressure. But now, I feel like I need to slow down just a little bit. I, I believe if I were to be honest with you, if you and I had a conversation as a young man or a young woman or maybe even as a young adult, the truth is there is a lot of pressure in this world not to live for the Lord Jesus Christ. There's a lot of pressure to conform to what world we have around us, to the ideals that they have, to the, to, the, to the principles and morals that they have. In fact, you're mocked or made fun of or someone looks at you strange depending on how you talk and what music you listen to and what clothes you may wear or being in church on a Wednesday night. I think it's good to be in church on Wednesday night. What I'm saying is this, that there is a real pressure to listen to the music that is in style, to, to look like the style of the day. There is a huge pressure to conform to that. And these three boys have three things that are going to help them resist that pressure. Now, my first time here, I, I like this church already. I like this church for a number of reasons. I think it's unique that you have a pastor that was on the mission field and is now a pastor. I think that is one of the best combinations that a church can have. Amen. But I really like seeing all these young people around the church. Amen. Right. And right now, I'd say 95% of them are listening to what I'm having to say. They're paying attention, as well as most of the adults. They're listening, to, they're listening to preaching. You know what that teaches me? This church right here has got preaching going on on a regular basis, doesn't it? And then you're singing with your heart during the service, and I like that. I like people to sing with their heart. I had to look back to see what pastor was talking about over here in the back corner. We got people singing. I, I love to hear people sing with their heart. And then we had prayer time on the altars covered with people. I like this church. I mean, you know what I also know? that if that is the case, that this church is a uniquely special church in the sense that it belongs to God, there is going to be pressure on you that perhaps wouldn't be on somebody else. Do so you look in the past? Look at verse 3 again. Of the children of Israel, of the king's seed. You know, the king of Babylon did not just want anybody. He wanted the king's seed. He wanted the people that had the most training, and here's the word, cultivation. He wanted the people that had been cultivated. I'm telling you right now, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah being raised in the palace, in the king's palace, 
had the very best teachers, they had the very best instructors, they had people trying to put something into them to help them become the next generation of rulers. And I'm telling you, I believe they had all kind of things poured into them. And are you, Mom, Dad, are you listening tonight? This first point's for you. I'm telling you, the devil is interested in children that mothers and dads and pastors and workers in the church have invested a great amount of energy into and those children have grown up. He loves to take the king's seed and make them something they're not meant to be. Now that means this, if daddy's a preacher, if daddy's a preacher, that doesn't make you special. That doesn't make you more important than anybody else, but I'm going to tell you what it does. It makes you part of the king's seed and of the princes. That means the target on your back is a little bit larger than it might be on somebody else's back. And the reason why, boy, I, you, you young girls singing with your dad, what a blessing somebody as old as he is needs somebody young to sing with. In my heart, though, if my children are singing with me, what a joy that is. And it validates what you've tried to put into them. Tried to teach them the Bible. Tried to tell them that going to church is the right place to go. That we don't need to have anything to do with the vile wickedness of the world. And as they grow up and those lives are cultivated, listen, I'm telling you, the devil loves to snatch a preacher's kid up and say, you see this one right here, a drunkard, uh, immoral, dad doesn't have a real message and that church isn't real. It's all just a bunch of lies and brainwashing. You got a big target on your back. Missionaries' kids, deacons' kids, ministers' kids, minister of music, teaching Sunday school. The devil wants to take the very best and you know, I think, I think God wants to use the very best. So God wants to take somebody that's been cultivated. And you know, I am, not a, I am not a gardener. How many in here, how many in here ever grow anything in a garden? Can I see your hand? See, I told you, I like this church, amen. Not very many people at all. I appreciate that. I can't, I can't grow anything. I can grow grass in the yard and weeds and whatnot. But, you know, it takes effort to cultivate something. Every now and then I'd go by, we'd, we'd plant a garden and we'd have all kind of things out there, squash and I, your pastor talking about green beans and corn and all these. We have all this laid off and lay off our rows and plant it and, you know, do what we can and then, you know, it just wouldn't produce. And here, Brother Roth, here's night, Brother Roth, he's just the opposite. He, he takes, he shows me pictures of what's growing in his garden and brings me a little bit of what comes in. You know, these are people that have perfectly straight rows and in between there all the ground is perfectly level and everything is growing green and lush and all that. And you say, man, I wish I had a garden like that. You know, if you want a garden like that, it takes a whole lot of work to get there. We don't believe in evolution, do we? So if you have children that have something in them that is unusual, it didn't happen by accident. Somebody spent some effort in making that thing the way it should be. And what I'm saying is here, in this passage, the king of, of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, is looking for somebody that has some kind of cultivation, somebody that has been raised in a palace, somebody that he can take and use for his benefit instead of being used for the purpose in which they were created. Those boys were never meant to be ruling and helping the establishment in Babylon. They were raised to lead the children of Israel. That's what they were raised for. And all I'm saying is that cultivation. So that is important. Mom, dad, it's important to work, to put something inside of your children, to spend that time. And listen, there's a lot of, there's a lot of things that take great amount of time. Praying with your children, loving your children, loving your children. Playing with your children. I think you ought to pray with them, but I think you ought to play with your children. Right. I think you ought to work together with your children. You ought to have a goal in your life. Hey, how can I raise these kids to have some good character on the inside? And all I'm saying is tonight, listen, I'm telling you that one of the things that's going to keep Daniel and those three Hebrew boys from caving to the pressure is that there was somebody that cultivated something in their life. Now listen to me. And when mom and dad aren't around, that cultivation is still doing its work in those boys' lives. Do you The pressure. When you're by yourself, when nobody else is around, when you're put out there in a world that you can do what you want to do, 
If there's not the right kind of cultivation, and mom, dad, granddaddy, grandmother, if there's not the right cultivation on the inside, we are really being fooled if we think that there's something all of a sudden that's just going to make them stand. They've got to have something grown up on the inside. That's cultivation. Then the second thing, if you look verse number four, it speaks about Daniel's character. Children in whom was no blemish. Every time I read that, I think about, my goodness, those boys didn't have any acne whatsoever. Can you believe that? I don't, I don't believe that's what it meant. No blemish. You know what I think? These children were whole in body and mind. There wasn't a blemish in them. It was something just like the Bible says of a lamb without spot and without blemish. You know, Jesus Christ was without blemish. Can I get an amen on that? He was without blemish, and one day the church is going to be without blemish. Not now, not now, but Ephesians chapter 5, one day our church is going to be perfect. Could I get an amen there? And you're not going to find it now, but you'll find it one day in glory. He's going to remove all blemishes. He's going to remove all spots. And these children, they were whole. They, they weren't somehow taken and broken in pieces. And I, Listen, we have a children's home, and I believe you guys may help with that. And, and, but whether you do, whether you don't, here's what I'm going to say about that. There are so many children that come from broken homes that end up themselves broken to pieces. They survive on drugs and alcohol. They survive by cutting themselves. They survive by putting themselves in places that children should never be. And they do that because they're broken. And they don't want broken people. These boys aren't broken. They're without blemish. It says that they were also well favored. Now you can look in the Bible and Rachel and Joseph are well favored. And that means they're good looking. And let me just say this. If you're good looking, you ought to thank God for that. There's a lot of people that look like they're good looking and it's 100% fake. Could you get an amen there? They paid a lot of money to look that way. But if you're good looking, God made you that way. All right, but I don't believe that's the well-favored. The well-favored, in my opinion, hasn't done anything to do with their beauty. It has to do like those seven uh, fat kind and those seven well-favored kind and then those seven ill kind, those lean kind. I think it just means they were fit, that, that these young men were fit. You know, I, I, and again, I, I think that there's so much in this world that is so different from the world I grew up in that that's not good. I've got a smartphone, I've got an iPad that I'm preaching from, and I, and I appreciate technology, but technology is putting us inside little rooms and in little houses and in little buildings, and we live around some media device instead of getting out there and living in the world God made. They're fit. I struggle. I love ice cream. Does anybody love ice cream? Say, I really like this church. Amen. I, I love to eat ice cream. You know, if you eat ice cream all the time, all, listen, I, I don't have a problem. Every meal, you know, you do that every meal, you're going to have a problem with your fitness. Wouldn't you say amen to that? I wish there was a pill you could take that would make you fit, that you jogged 20 miles, that you did all kind of crunches and all that. There is no pill you can take that will do that for you. If you're fit, you've got to make your body fit. These boys were fit. Look what else it says about them. It says that they were skillful in all wisdom. In other words, they had some common sense. They were wise. They knew what to do with the facts. You put some facts in front of these boys, and they knew what to do with it. Then it says that they were, they were cunning in knowledge and understanding science. They were intelligent. They were, look, they were cunning in knowledge. There's a difference between knowing something and knowing how to present something. There are a lot of people paid a lot of money that, that know what everybody else knows, but they just know how to present it in a way that somebody else can get it. And then it says, understanding science. There are people that are competent. They understand what, what they're looking at. How many of you hated chemistry? Could I see a raising of hands there? I like this church. Amen. I hated chemistry. I don't care what things are made out of. Look, I could care less what's in toothpaste as long as it works, right? Who cares? I don't care. There's probably some dentist here saying, well, you should care. <laughs> but, but what I'm saying is that there are people that are competent. These boys, were, they were intelligent. They were intelligent. All right, look what else it says about them. And they had ability in them to stand in the king's palace. I love those, those words, the ability to stand 
in the king's palace. I think that they had principles down in them. They had the ability to stand. In the military, what we call it, we call it bearing. That you know how to conduct yourself. You know how to walk and how to carry yourself. That you, you've been taught, somebody's taught you, they've cultivated in you a way to present yourself and to be amongst company that, that doesn't put everybody else off. It's something that they were able to stand, and I think there were some great principles. And then look what else it says about them. And to teach the learning and the tongue of the Chaldeans. Now, I was really impressed today with your pastor. I think he knows four languages. That's a lot of languages. Most Americans, we, we know one. And sometimes we don't know that one very well. Right. These boys had to be able to be teachable till they could learn the tongue of the Chaldeans. In other words, they had to be adaptable. They had to learn a different language. <laughs> Who wants to learn a different language? And they had to teach the learning of the Chaldeans. That's a different culture. I, I love the South. I do. I love the South. I don't like okra. I don't like cornbread. You say you're from the South? Yes, I am. I am, but I don't like okra and I don't like cornbread. I don't like it. I don't think it tastes good. I, I don't like buttermilk. I don't, I don't care for that at all. I like buttermilk. I don't like it. I don't like it. Now, I like grits, but I don't like salt and pepper on my grits. I like sugar on my grits. But I'm from the South. I know where I was raised, and listen, but I've been all over the world. God has let me travel all over the world, just like I'm right here now. I'm in Maryland. I had, had no plan in standing right here tonight. Zero. None. Today I got to eat crab cakes right here in Maryland. I like crab cakes. Yeah, they're good. I got one back at the room waiting on me. Amen. But you know, some people, they're not adapted. You know who couldn't stand? I'm going to get off my message. You know who couldn't stand in the king's palace? Somebody said, I don't like that. I don't want that. I'm not going to eat that. I'm not going to sit like that. I'm not going to dress like that. I'm not adaptable. It's got to be this way or it's not going to work. Those boys were going to be adaptable. How many of you think somebody put something in them then? Here's what I'm saying. These boys, and this is, this is what I really believe. These boys had cultivation, mom and dad invested in them to keep the pressure from closing them down and pressing them in. And then the character they got on the inside, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Deuteronomy chapter 6, about you talk to them while you're by the way, and, and when you lie down, and when thou risest up. I think those boys had character put in them and listen to me if you've got good character are you listening if you've got good character that'll help you stand when the pressure is on and there's no substitute for that there is no button you can push that all of a sudden says I can stand there is something that you have to have inside of you character that's on the inside of you that helps you withstand the pressure I had a lady in our church in Alabama. She was a very influential lady. She, was, uh, she worked at NASA, and uh, they would have parties much like if uh, you men know what it is with officers called or when you, have a, you, have, you get together and everybody's drinking and all that. Well, she would be brought to this place where there would be people that were just super high up in NASA, people that were shakers and movers, and they would all be drinking. And you know what she would always do? She said, Preacher, I'd make sure that I had a glass of milk that I walked around with so everybody knew exactly where I stood. in front of all these people that were so important, she had some character down on the inside that kept the pressure from compressing her into a bad decision. Now, before I hit the third thing, I, I want to point out four things to you that I know that the devil wants to take and conform you to. And I'm, I'm looking at my clock. And, Thank you. I pre all right. Okay, I'll take it off then. I'm not going to look at it again. First one is in verse number three. Now, I can't, listen, I didn't come to preach, but I want to help you. Look at verse three. The king spake unto Ashpenaz, the master of the eunuchs, that he should bring certain of the children of Israel and the king's seed and of the princes. For sake of time, 2 Kings chapter 20 prophesied 
that Hezekiah's seed would be made eunuchs and they would be put in the palace. The pressure to change begins in verse 3 with the pressure to change physically. There is a pressure that is being applied to these young men by Nebuchadnezzar, one of the most powerful men in the world, and he starts it off by changing them physically. All right, by being a eunuch, they weren't going to be able to have a family. And that means this, that all the character that got put in them, all the cultivation that got put in them, they might be able to put it into somebody else's child, but they would never have one of their own to be able to do that with. They were changed physically. And it, listen, do you get off pulpit? Okay. There are things that the world will pressure you to do physically that will change you and keep you from being what God wanted you to be. There's probably not an adult in here that doesn't know somebody that used drugs to the point where their mind is no longer sharp. That somebody that didn't use alcohol and drank themselves to a place where their liver doesn't function right, or maybe they were in an automobile. Aren't you glad God can forgive anything? But you know what? Sometimes you have to suffer the consequences, and so the world's pressure is, well, drink like us, have a good time. Hey, go ahead and smoke this. Go ahead and shoot this. Go ahead and take this. And the pressure to change physically that lasts and pushes you away from what God wanted you to do. Listen, I believe with all my heart the best testimony you'll ever have is I don't know what liquor tastes like. I don't know what beer tastes like. I don't know what drugs smell like. I've never put anything into my body or my mouth. Somebody says, that's not a great testimony. I think it's the best testimony. But there are all kind of other things going on today. There are things today that are going on where people are given all kind of hormone therapy to change what they are. And your generation, your generation is being pressured like no other generation to say, I'm not happy with the way I am physically. I, I feel like I'm something different and I ought to be something. And, and our society is enabling a whole host of young people to change themselves physically so they'll never be what God intended them to be. He wanted to change them physically, and he did, against their will. Many of you, you've got a choice, but against their will. So he wanted to change them physically. And then look at the next thing. Not only change them physically, but he also wanted to change their language. In verse number four, we just read it, that they might teach the learning and the tongue of the Chaldeans. Now, again, language is something that is very important. Language allows you to connect to a people. It identifies you. I mean, when somebody says, hey, y'all, you know that they're not from Washington, D.C., right? How y'all doing? I, I can't tell you a number of times somebody said, you must be from Georgia or Alabama. And I said, you got it right, Alabama. Your language identifies you. Which leads me to say this. You understand that they're being brought into Babylon to speak the Chaldean tongue. That means the words of the Chaldeans, the vocabulary of the Chaldeans. But that's not how they were raised. They were raised speaking the tongue of the Hebrews and the Jews. And they were also, there were all kind of things that they had in their vocabulary, like the word temple. You know what? I like this, this thing that I'm standing behind right here. I like the word pulpit. You know, if I hear somebody use the word pulpit, it just makes me believe that they must have somewhere in their life that they've been connected to some Bible-believing churches somewhere. I like words like Hallelujah. I like words like Hosanna. That's a good Bible word, Hosanna. There are words that we use like amen. Y'all used it earlier. Then there are words that we use like righteousness. Well, you get to hear somebody saying amen out in public, and they get to talking about a pulpit, and they say, man, amen, that's a righteous thing right there. You know what you know? You got somebody that's got something a little bit different on the inside. And I'm, are you young people listening? There is pressure to change your vocabulary. You say, how do you do that? Well, by moving you from church and letting you sit in front of a television and see all kind of stuff on sitcoms and all that stuff to where you talk and use words that really have nothing to do with church. Nothing. You learn a different language. You know, and everybody's got a cultural language. You know, when I was a, a kid, you know, something was cool or whatever else. And, and I hate to say this, but we used to make fun of people that wore Chuck Taylor Converse tennis shoes. 
We did. We just said, you know, those, those are ugly. I hated them. I had to wear them. My dad would buy them for me for basketball. I hated Chuck Taylor. And now they're everywhere. Or maybe not in here tonight, but they have been everywhere. Now I've learned that it's not Chuck Taylor's. You need Vans, whatever that is. And maybe if I'd say it this way, there's all kind of language things out there that, that fit a culture and time. Like, I have never used the word, that's groovy. <laughs> you know, when I think of the word groovy, I think of the song, this is the dawning of the age of Aquarius. That's what comes to my mind. Oh, that's gro- I, I heard a preacher one time, he got up in a pulpit, he started saying, that's groovy, man. I thought, I know what generation you're from. Right, but you young, listen, you young people... The world wants to take out of your vocabulary the hymns and the word of God. and by, They want to turn words like drunkenness into alcoholism. All right? They want to turn words like sodomy into an alternate lifestyle. And what I'm saying is the world wants to change your language. The Bible says this, that out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. Y'all been doing enough praising tonight. Somebody's got something down in your heart. This isn't a show, you didn't push a button when I get, okay, everybody say amen. That's not what you're doing. There are many of you that are listening and you're saying amen. You got on an altar and you prayed over people that were lost so that they might be saved. You know why? Because it's in your heart. The world wants to change your vocabulary. They'll use music to do that. They'll use all kinds of things. And these boys, he's trying to change their language. And then look what else. He changes their diet. Verse 5, and the king appointed them a daily provision of the king's meat and the wine which he drank. You know, and somebody says, oh, preacher, what's wrong with the king's meat? Get to eat a steak about that big. Now, how many of you like steak? You like steak? I like this church. How many of you like it medium rare? I really like this church. Amen. Oh, preacher, what's wrong with a great big steak that's medium rare? Well, the king's meat didn't just mean that it was a big steak, medium rare. Proverbs 23 talks about you need to put a knife to your throat when somebody puts some dainty meat in front of you because it's deceitful. There's a reason he's feeding them steak because after all, they're slaves in Babylon. So it doesn't matter what you're eating. But you know, the king's meat might have included things that was offered to idols probably. And most, you know what those boys do? We're not supposed to be eating meat offered to idols. It might have included things that you and I like, pork chops and bacon. I love bacon. Praise the Lord for that. But you know, under the Jewish economy, you're not supposed to eat bacon. And can you imagine sitting a big plate of bacon in front of boys that have been taken away from their culture and their family and their friends? And one of them finally looks at each other and says, praise God, we finally get to eat some bacon, man. No. So we're not going to eat that. Change their diet. And the wine with which he drank. Well, you're away from mom and dad. Nobody's going to know you're in the palace after all. The king put it in front of you and didn't give you an alternative. You had to drink the wine. You see, he's changing their diet. I'm telling you right now, you need to stay away from alcohol and wine, liquor and all that. It ain't going to help you at all. It's not, it's not going to add anything to your life. You say, sure it does. Wine makes the steak taste better. No, it doesn't. Salt makes the taste better. And all I'm saying is this. He's changing their diet. But you know, I think there's something more than the diet that's on the plate. I think he's aiming at a different diet. You know what the Bible says? They that hunger and thirst after righteousness shall be filled. There's an appetite that you develop for what we're doing tonight. How many of you enjoying yourself? You enjoying yourself being here? I'm enjoying myself being here. Now, I, you know, I don't know. If I, I, I may not be back. And if you're not enjoying it, it's okay. You don't have to worry about it. But I'm enjoying being in church because this is where I, I love church. Nobody made me come to Maryland. We paid for the tickets to come up here because we wanted to come. We wanted to see what you got going on in prayer. I like to be in a place where the Bible's being preached and where songs of God are being sung. I like to be around people that get at an altar. I like to be around people that, hey, that lift their hand and say, amen, God's been good. That's an appetite. You know what I think he's trying to change? He's trying to change that. You young people, listen to me. The devil wants you to develop an appetite and a taste 
for everything that's outside of this place that looks attractive, that, that they make it out to be so good. It's kind of like, you know, I can remember when I was a kid, they had these Miller Lite commercials and a couple of these guys that played football were in the back of this boat fishing and one of them's cry, I think it was Gastineau said, get in the boat! And all these fish just jump in the boat. Well, that doesn't happen, does it? But then this is Miller Life, the high life. You know what they don't tell you? They don't show you people that are puking their guts off. They don't show you. They don't show people that are dying from liver cirrhosis of the liver. They don't show you somebody that was 15, 16, 17 years old, got in the car with the wrong person that was drinking and driving and ended up being in the hospital and losing a leg or being put on life support for many days of their life. You know what? The, I'm telling you right now, all I'm just saying is the world will tell you, but you can't be happy if you don't have this. You can't be happy. Listen, TikTok. How many of you older people do not know what TikTok is? Would you raise your hand? TikTok. All right, TikTok. That's my, you have to turn my watch off. It's telling me I need to quit. TikTok. TikTok tells you what the new dances are and, you know, what the new crazes are, the new fads are, and how many people you can get to look at it and all that good stuff. And the bottom line is, as far as I'm concerned, as far as I'm concerned, it doesn't matter what's going on on TikTok. I don't care what's on TikTok. Yeah, but preacher, you don't know how to do this. Yeah, I'm glad I don't know how to do this. Well, you're just not cool. Okay, I'll take that. I don't, I don't, want, I don't want to develop a diet for things that are not healthy. <coughs> I don't want to diet for pornography. I don't want to diet for immorality. I don't want to diet for things that are going to be contrary to the heart that God has tried to cultivate in me. And I'm, what I'm telling you is he wanted to change their diet. Listen, that's a good diet right there. There's so many things this Bible is compared to, to honey and to bread and to apples and to meat. This book is compared to milk. This book right here has got something on the inside of it that you say, well, I didn't get anything out of it. You know, it doesn't matter if you always get something out of it, but it sure is good for you. Did you ever have somebody tell you that about the food they put on your plate? My mom would put it. I don't like English peas either. My mom would say, you're going to eat a spoonful. And she wouldn't give me a spoon like that. She'd give me one of those big serving spoons. And, you know, we finally, we, we finally got my brother help there. One day at the table, my brother, after trying to get those peas down, started gagging at the table. And my mom said, don't you do it. And my dad started saying, Brent, don't you do it. And my brother threw up English peas right there at the table. And that's the last time I had to eat a big spoon of English peas. <laughs> What's good for you? Well, I don't get anything out of Chronicles. Read it anyway. I don't get anything out of Numbers. Read it anyway. Find something you can get something out of. All I'm just saying is the world wants to change your diet from the Bible to something that's always on the web. I'm in the, listen, I'm in the airport today. Everybody's got their device out. Everybody. I had my Bible open. And the lady sitting next to me, here's what she did. She went, she looked at it, she, she looked away. It was like, that's Bible. <laughs> I tell you, I've seen some stuff on people's devices that makes me want to look away. It depends on what you let your appetite become. He's trying to change their diet. Now that cultivation and that character is helping them. But he's trying to change their diet. Last thing, and I'll just give this to you. Look what it says there in verse number 6. The Bible says, Now among these were of the children of Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. That's their name. Every one of those names, every one of those names is connected to the God of the Bible. Daniel, E-L, that means God. Every name is connected to God. Then look in verse number 7. In verse 7, he gave Daniel the name Belteshazzar. Can you imagine us singing, dare to be a Belteshazzar? It just don't have the same ring to it, does it? And the name of Hananiah, Shadrach. And the name of Mishael, Meshach. And the name of Azariah, Abednego. You know, a lot of, pe a lot of people know those boys' names by Me Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Do you know every one of those names in verse number 7 is associated with a god of the Babylonians? Do you understand what he's doing? He is taking young men that have a name after the God of heaven 
and giving them a name after the God's little g of this world. He is changing their identity. Mom and dad named them Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. That's a family that they're connected to. Well, he's going to change that. He's going to name them Belteshazzar and Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego. And I'm, tell, listen, I'm telling you, the world wants to change your identity. They want you to be ashamed that you go to a Bible-believing church. They want you to be ashamed that you've got a preacher that preaches the Bible. They want you to be ashamed of the fact that your Bible stands for against things that they don't think is any problem whatsoever. They want you to be ashamed of your identity. Hey, if you've got a mom and dad that have invested in you, I say you ought to be thankful that you've got somebody that loved you enough to teach you the truth. If you've got a pastor that loves you enough to preach the whole counsel of God, you ought to say, thank you, God, for giving me that kind of pastor. If you've got a church you can go to where people raise their hand, sing from a hymn book, and gather around an altar, don't let the world make you duck your head in shame. Hey, be glad that God gave you that hair. But he's trying to change their identity. He's trying to change. Do you see the pressure he's using? He's changing their names. He's changing their diet. He's taking and he's plying pressure. He's changing them physically. He's changing their language. You know why? Listen to me. Because he wants to use them for his purpose. That's what the world wants to do with you, to use you for their purpose. But you were made for something better than that. So the cultivation helps push that away. And the character helps to keep that pressure away. And then I'm finished right here. The last thing, verse number, boy, I love it. Verse number eight. I like that first word. Could you read it for me? Verse eight says what? Let's try it one more time. Verse eight says, but. So all the pressure to change. But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with a portion of the king's meat nor with the wine which he drank. Mom and dad aren't around. I'm away from my culture. I'm not inside of the temple. You know what he did? He made a choice that kept the pressure from changing him. Here's what he said. I am not drinking that wine, and I'm not eating that king's meat. I'm choosing, I'm choosing, purposing, that I'm not going to be what Babylon wants me to be I'm going to remain what God intended me to be. That's a choice. There's not a person here tonight that you don't have the liberty to make that choice at work, in your neighborhood. As a young man and a young woman, you have a choice. You can say, I am not giving in to the pressure to change my music and to change my fashion and to change my dress and to change my language and to hide stuff on my phone and to leave stuff out of sight where nobody can see. I'm not going to be drawn into that because God's got something better. And let me tell you something. If you'll choose what God got, if you'll choose what God has that's better, you're going to be happy that you did. Do you believe that? I don't know. You look like you don't believe that. Some of you young people, okay, you changed my mind. Go to Genesis. Genesis. Come on, go to Genesis. Genesis 40. Let's go to Genesis 40. Uh, 40, maybe, let's see, maybe 40. Oh, 39. 39. Let's go to Genesis 39. Joseph sent into Egypt. Brothers lied on him, sold him into slavery. I mean, he, he, he's, got a lot to be, he's got a lot to be upset about. And then this woman by the name of Potiphar, verse number seven, it came to pass, well, let's read verse six so we get a connection back to Daniel. And he left all that he had in Joseph's hand, that's Potiphar. And he knew not all that he had save the bread which he did eat. And Joseph was a goodly person and well favored. So Joseph must have had some skill and wisdom. He must have had some cunning and knowledge. He, I mean, this guy must have been a sharp guy because he trusted. He was trusted to all this guy's goods. Verse 7, it came to pass after these things that his master's wife cast her eyes upon Joseph and she said, lie with me. Verse 8, but he refused. And said unto his master's wife, Behold, my master wotteth not what is with me in the house, and he hath committed all that he hath in my hand. There is none greater in this house than I. Neither hath he kept back anything from me but thee, 
Because thou art his wife, how then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? Again, he's in a place away from mom, away from dad, away from the temple. And it came to pass, verse 10, as she spake to Joseph, look at it, day by day. How many of you think that's pressure? Every day, every day, lie with me, every day, every day, that he hearkened not unto her to lie by her, or to be with you. you. see what she's doing? Well, you won't lay with me. Just lay right next to me. Just come here and sit right down next to me. The pressure, the pressure is immense on Joseph, a slave in Egypt. Until it says in verse 11, it came to pass about this time, Joseph went to the house to do his business. There was none of the men of the house there, in, there within. She caught him by the garment saying, lie with me. And he left his garment in her hand and fled and got him out. How many of you think that's a whole lot of pressure on a young man? That's, that's huge pressure. But you know what he did? Cultivation, character, and then his choice. He said, no. And look what God did in Egypt. Go, if you would, over to chapter, um, well, chapter 41. Chapter 41, Joseph gets exalted to number two in the kingdom. That would be like being the vice president of the United States. How many of you think your pastor would make a good vice president? Amen. Moving up to number two in the kingdom. Joseph is at a high place, and the king wants to honor him. So he does all these things for him. He takes, and the Bible says that he's going to, verse 42, he, puts a, he put, takes a ring and puts it on Joseph's hand, and you know it was a big ring, gold. And all. He arrayed him in vessels of fine linen. He went down and had him fitted with the best that Egypt had to offer and put a gold chain about his neck and made him to ride in the second chariot, which he had. How many of you think the second chariot in Egypt must have been nice? I mean, it's the king's chariot. It's, number, it's, 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 it's chariot number two. It's chariot B. All right, now look what he said. He says, they cried after him, bow the knee, and he made him ruler over all the land of Egypt. So Pharaoh is really trying to show everybody in Israel, this boy right here, I'm putting my confidence in him, number two in the land. Look at verse 45, now look. And Pharaoh called Joseph's name zathnath Paneah. Change his name. And he gave to him to wife Asenath, the daughter of Potipharah, priest of On. And Joseph went all went out over all the land of Egypt. Listen, how many of you think that that woman was good looking? You know why I know she was good looking? Because Pharaoh said, you take the second chariot, you put on fine linen, you give him a big ring, you put a chain about his neck, we're going to show everybody somebody that's my number two guy is special and he's going to be honored. And you know, well, you know what I think? I think, in, this is what I think. In my mind, I can see Joseph, when Asenath, when she walks out, he goes, oh, thank you, God. <laughs> now, don't get mad at me. I think Potiphar's wife was probably a little older, maybe a little more wrinkledy. Maybe not so attractive because he sure did say no every day. <laughs> right? Come on, right? Right? Every day. No, 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 no. And now because he chose to do right and be what God made him, Pharaoh says, okay, boys, I want you to bring, bring Asenath out here. Why, why are you doing that? I'm fixing to give you a wife. <sighs> okay, change my name, all this stuff. All right. I think she was beautiful. And you know why I believe that? Because I believe if you'll... If you'll just say no to what the world is trying to get you to change your identity for and to change your language and to change your diet, so you never become what God wants you to become. Joseph became second in all of Egypt. You know why? Because he had enough character to say no. And God exalted him. And I'm telling you, he wants to do the same thing for you. He wants to do the same thing for you. It's your choice. 
You know, some of you may be slipping on that choice. Some of you may have made that choice a long time ago and it's just kind of gotten a little distant for you. Some of you maybe felt some pressure from some people because of the way you look and the way you talk. Where you sit on Wednesdays and Sundays and what you do on Saturdays. Bringing in somebody from a rescue mission and feeding them all kind of things. And oh, you're that church, you're that church where the preacher took and tore up the stuff in front of everybody on TV, right? Yeah, that's that church. Man, y'all be thankful what God's giving you. Y'all let God use you what you ought to be. Won't you choose that? Maybe tonight some of y'all will get up out of your pew and just say, God, I tell you what I'm going to do. I'm refusing to become like Babylon. I want to be what you want me to be. I want you to, be, I want you to help me be what I ought to be. i be a mom and dad. I need to get on the altar and say, God, help me to put the right character in my kids to cultivate that's hard work. There's no book or manual apart from the Bible. Hard work and prayer, I'm telling you. Mom, dad, it, it is hard. It takes, it takes great effort. But the world is real. And the world wants to take your children and make them, instead of the king's seed, servants of Babylon, servants of this world. Lord, best I can, tried to preach about how that you have something better to offer tonight. What a joy to look at a man like Daniel, a young man that had somebody that cultivated the right character in his life and in spite of all the pressure, all the pressure that you were able to take and help him to choose and say no and then raise him up to influence not just Babylon, but Medo-Persia and so many other places. And to this day, over a 1,000, 2,000 years, still influencing lives today. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for your people and their desire to serve you. Please help us to do what we can while we can to see that happen in the lives of these young men and women here at Calvary Baptist Church. I pray you'd make it so, Lord. Let this be a place that sends out champions for Christ and missionaries and preachers and mothers that are going to raise their kids right. Oh, God, please put it in them. In Jesus' name, amen.